Let's open up to Zechariah chapter 4. And I just want to review a few things from last week. And then we'll move on from there. Hallelujah. 2024, the year of the three R's. To revisit, refresh, and refire. Hallelujah. Amen. By the time the end of the year comes, you'll be ready to shoot to the moon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Very simple scripture. It says, The Lord said to me, This is the word. And then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. So I hope that by the time we finish tonight, we'll get a good understanding of what that is actually about. You know, but the one thing's for sure is that God requires things of us. His word requires things of us. All the ifs of the Bible, isn't that right? But no matter what it is that he requires of us, he doesn't leave us on our own to do it on our own. Amen. We can take in the word of God. We can follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will empower us to do as we need to do. So then as we do as we need to do, then God is free to do as he needs to do. And what he said that he'll do. Isn't that right? But it's done not by our own might, not by our own power, but we do it by the Spirit. See, it's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. So we do things not by our own power, not by our own might, but we do it by the Spirit of God. Because it involves His Word, the leadership of His Spirit, and His empowering us. Amen. And in order to function in this, it's going to take faith. Oh, just like it does everything in the kingdom. That's nothing new, is it? No, because we are the righteous and we live by faith. Amen. Then verse 7 goes on to say, he says, What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Hallelujah. You know, when I asked you the question last week about what are we facing. You know, what is it that's standing in front of you? What are the obstacles and the resistances that you have to deal with? But yet, the next question would be, what is that before the Lord? And he says that shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay? Well, shouts of grace are shouts of the word of God in faith. Isn't that right? Because faith accesses the grace of God. When they were at Jericho, they shouted, and they were shouts of grace. Faith attached to the power of grace. It was the grace of God that brought the walls down. And their faith attached to that grace. Amen. The people followed what Joshua said. Lord, Joshua got instruction from the Lord. They followed what Joshua said. Did it exactly as he said. Followed it fully. And then they shouted. Amen. And, you know, grace, we talk about the grace of God, and grace is very simply, in its simplest definitions, is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen. You know, when Peter was in prison, he was in shackles, he was in the jail, and the angel appeared. 
took the shackles off of him, opened the jail cell, walked him out past the guards, out into the street, and then the angel disappeared. Well, what did Peter do at that point? He said, well, what do I do now? No, no. See, the angel did what Peter couldn't do. But then when it got to what Peter could do, the angel left. The angel didn't need to get him down the street, didn't need to give him explicit instruction. Peter knew, I go to my own company. Isn't that right? Amen. So grace is very simply God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The people at Jericho, they did the shout. God did the knocking down. God couldn't knock down if they didn't shout. And that's something you always have to remember. Oh, no, God can just do. No, he can't. Why? Because he said so. And God will not go against his word no matter what you think. God will not violate his word no matter what you think it ought to be. No matter how you think it ought to be. No matter what you say, well, this is what I believe. Well, you believe wrong. God laid it out in the word. You either get with his program or you're left out in the cold. Wondering why isn't it working? Why isn't God doing something? He's told us, don't shout me down. I'm preaching good now. And we're just starting, glory to God. You know, I don't know if you ever noticed this. God don't really give a rip what you think. Do you ever notice that? He don't care what you think or what you believe or what your doctrine is or what you, he don't care. This is it. It's the way it's going to be. And if we want his be in our life, then we got to be what his word says be. Amen. So we told them, walk around the walls, seven, six days, once a day, totally quiet. That was probably the miracle. The biggest miracle was they didn't talk. And then on the seventh day, they walked around it seven times. And then he said, after the seventh time, shout. Now, if God could have just knocked the walls down, why didn't he do it on the first day? Why did they have to walk around it? Why didn't he say, I'm going to knock the walls down, just go on in and take it? He didn't. You know, sometimes delay is not God sitting around wasting time. It's time for you to prove yourself to God. And the children of Israel, after 40 years of rebellion in the wilderness, had to prove themselves faithful to God to be obedient. Isn't that what it says in James 1.12? Blessed is the man that endures under trial, because when he has been approved, then he shall receive the victor's crown. Amen. Hallelujah. So they did the shout. He did the knocking down. He does not ask us to do what you can't do. Now, how could I say that? As a human being, he will not ask you to do something you can't do. So don't think, well, God would never ask me to do that because I can't do that. Well, you could because you're a human being and you could do that if you just get up and learn. Get up and move and start moving in that direction and learn to do it and God can bring you down that direction if that's the direction you need to go. God called me to be a pastor. Dear God, does he know who he called? 
Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> you know, and uh, we were, we started off and we were pastoring the church with our former pastor's ex-wife. And our former pastor, I think he spoke to you, I don't know if he told it to you or if he told it to Pastor you, Ellen. And he said, you can't tell, he says, I know that's God running that church. He says, you can't tell me that Italian from New York and my wife is running that place. <laughs> I'm like, that's right. <laughs> that's right. What did I know about pastoring when he called me? Nothing. I barely know anything today. Are, are you with me? You know, I'm the guy that don't like talking in front of anybody. He called me into the ministry 42 years ago, and I don't like talking in front of anybody. He moves me into worship. I don't like singing. I can't sing. You know it. I know it. But that's okay. Bob Dylan couldn't sing. Phil Driscoll can't sing. The heck? You know? Steppenwolf, they couldn't sing. Anyway, I'm getting way off the subject here. So it's not about what you can or can't do or what you think you can do or can't do or what you feel like you're able or not able to do. You're a human being and you can do what God requires you to do, whatever it is. Amen. So when we say he don't ask you to do things you can't do, he's not asking you to knock down the walls of Jericho. He's not asking you to raise up the axe out of the water so that you could pay it back to the person you owe it to. He's not asking you to raise the Shunammite woman's uh, son from the dead. Are you with me? Those are the things we can't do. But he can do. But how does he do it? He does it through your obedience. He does it through faith. Amen. So grace in its simplest definition is really unmerited favor. There's actually three New, Dep New Testament definitions to grace. Number one is unmerited favor, which is the most popular one. Number two is the power and equipping for ministry. And number three is the sum total of all earthly blessings. Those are the three definitions of grace in the New Testament. When it comes to salvation and talk about being saved by grace, he's talking about unmerited favor. Okay, grace being unmerited favor. But faith is the avenue by which we take hold of that favor. For instance, you ever been invited for dinner? Okay, so when you got invited to dinner and you went over to that person's house for dinner, they, they, they tell you, well, here's the kitchen and you got to cook. Did they tell you to bring the food with you? Did they tell you to stop over at Publix and pick up a bunch of groceries? No, it was already prepared for you. Everything was prepared. Everything was ready. You didn't have to do any of the prep work. You didn't have to do any of the cooking. You didn't have to set the table. You didn't do it. All you did was come in and sit down and partook of what was freely given to you. Isn't that right? The word is your invitation. It's the calling. That's God calling you. The word of God calls you. Okay? That's like the invitation, the dinner invitation. Faith is our acceptance of the invitation or the calling so that we can then receive what was freely prepared for us without our merit. 
Amen. And what is that? That's called choosing. God did the calling with the word you chose to accept. God don't choose you, you choose. God calls, but you choose. Isn't that right? That's, it's all about in the, remember the marriage supper uh, where, where the master put on a, uh, a, a, a wedding feast and he invited people and they all had excuses on why they couldn't come. And he says that they've shown themselves not to be worthy. Well, he thought they were worthy. He invited them, but they chose not to come. So they showed themselves to not be worthy. If you read the account. Amen. Faith is our acceptance of the invitation or the call of the word of God. And we have to revisit faith to attach to God's unmerited favor of grace. We've got to go back and revisit faith. Revisit our commitment to grow in faith. Because I'm sure every one of us in here would say, I have faith. And we're going to find out why that is not your answer. So go to Hebrews 11, 1. The wonderful faith verse. Hebrews 11, 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It doesn't matter how they say it in the English Bible. We're going to look at the Greek words, and they're all defined the same. They just call them different things in English, but in the Greek, it's all laid out. So that's what we're going to look at, because it's faith. The Greek word pistis. And objectively, faith means that which is believed, a doctrine or the articles of faith. And that's what most people think when they say, I have faith. I believe a doctrine. Huh? I believe the articles of faith. And they believe statements. And mostly when you talk to folks like this, like, uh, you know, they could be part of a church and that church has a statement of faith and they go, yeah, I believe that, which mostly means they agree with it. You go on the website and you wonder, should I get involved with this uh, uh, organization? And you look at their statement of faith. And what does it mean? You will then either agree or not agree. But that don't mean you believe. You either agree or you don't agree. So you agree with the doctrine, you agree with articles of faith, and that's what most people think when you hear the word faith. And this is why some people will fight you tooth and nail all the way to the ground. I have faith and you can't say I don't have faith. Because we're defining them differently. Some people have secular definitions of faith and others have biblical definitions of faith. We need to know the biblical definitions of faith. So the word faith or pistis in the Greek actually means to win over, to be persuaded, to have a firm persuasion, a firm belief, and a firm reality of something. To win over, to persuade, to have a firm persuasion, a firm belief, and a firm reality. Faith is fully believable proof. I don't need to see the proof. I have faith, which is my proof. That's the proof. The proof of it. The Amplified Bible says that faith is guaranteed as a title deed. A title deed is proof without seeing. 
Isn't that right? My parents, back in the early 70s, bought a home in Florida. They were in New York. They put a down payment down on the house. They're told they're getting a house built. They get a title deed. They come to Florida with a title deed. Of course, that title deed says, I have a house. Thankfully, they had a house. <laughs> so under perfect conditions, a title deed means you have something. And that's what faith is. It's the title deed, that you have something without I already have it without seeing it. Amen. Faith also is a transitive force. And therefore, it's always rendered as now. Now. Now, faith by which the righteous shall live. Now. Now, faith by which the righteous shall live. It's a faith that's ever moving forward in the now. It is right now 720. Well, this is now compared to 7 o'clock when we started. And faith has moved along, always in the now. Faith is now. All right? So faith you had at 7 o'clock may not work at 7.20. Your faith needs to be now. It's transitive. It's moving. Faith includes connotations of endurance. So therefore, it has to go forward because it's always enduring, standing. It is a consistent persuasion and a consistent reality. Amen. To live by faith is to endure hardship, afflictions, and pressures with confidence and boldness, never doubting the divine promise as long as it's now. As long as it's now. Doesn't matter. You throw what you want at me. Doesn't matter. I'm now, therefore I'm in faith. I'm believing faith. My faith is now. Now, that doesn't mean like, you know, well, we just, you know, enduring is not grin and bear. Oh, just put up with it. It'll be, and that's not endurance. Endurance is the Greek word hupomene, which means to remain and to stand and to stay under the promise of God no matter what's going on. Continue to believe. Continue to take your place. Amen. So that's faith. Now, faith is the, if we can go back to the New American, please. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the assurance, the Greek word hopot, hope, hopostasis, the assurance. Assurance means that which provides the basis and trust and reliance. Faith is the assurance. Faith provides for me the basis of trust and reliance. It's the assurance. It means that I'm set under faith. I'm set under what the Word of God says. I'm set under what I'm believing. Faith underlies the apparent. What's the apparent? It's what I see. What I see may not be what I want, but faith underlies that. Okay? You know the old expression, there's more than meets the eye. Well, that's what faith is. See, faith is not blind faith. A lot of people think faith is just blind faith. There's nothing, there is nothing more factual than faith. Nothing. Because there's nothing in here that you have to believe that Jesus has not already done for you. It's a fact what he has done. Amen. That's like, you know, somebody 
somebody puts $200,000 into your account to pay off your mortgage, and you're like, oh, I sure hope I get that mortgage paid off. Oh, I'm believing for my mortgage to get paid. No, it was already done. Well, Jesus already paid for your price. He already paid for your sickness. He already paid for your diseases. He already carried your pain. He's done all of it. He became rich so that you, I mean, though he was rich, he became poor so you could be rich. He's done it all and he's done it already. And then 2,000 years ago, he sat down because he was done. And all we have to do is step into the buffet and pick it up. Amen. Hallelujah. Faith underlies the apparent, the things that are seen. Again, the idea of endurance, to stand under it with boldness, confidence, and firmness, immovable, unshakable. This is the one that has the attitude and the actions of someone that is determined to stand by something promised and refuses to budge. Hallelujah. It's a fixed decision to be unmoving and to stay standing by a promise that is being believed to come to pass, unlike a theory. See, authority can be a theory or it can be an action of life. Dominion can be an, a theory or it can be an action of life. By his stripes I'm healed could be a theory or it can be an action of life. How do you know if which was which? Depends on how you make your decisions. Your decisions will show what you, what you believe. Your choices will show what you believe. You say all you want, but what are your choices? What are your decisions? Show me your faith without the works. I'll show you my faith by my works, by my choices, by my decisions. Amen. So this person, this faith, the one that has the assurance is like a bulldog who took a hold of the bone of his dreams and he has locked on to this thing and he's not letting go of it for nothing. Huh? No matter what the resistance is, no matter what the obstacles are, no matter what opposing forces there may be, this bone is not going to be let loose of for nothing. Well, that's what faith is. Faith is that. No matter the resistance, the obstacles, I'm holding on. Relentlessly standing by the promises of God and tenaciously holding on to it until you see it. Until you see it. You hold on to it till you see it. Amen. So this is not just about believing a statement. You may be standing on God's promises for healing. By his stripes I'm healed. He sent his word and healed me. You know, the benefit of being in the kingdom, he heals all my infirmities. That as my soul prospers, that I'll be in better health. Right? You could be standing on a promise for healing. You could be standing on a promise for financial provision. He supplies seed to me, the sower, and I sow that seed, and he will multiply back to me seed for sowing and increase the harvest that comes from my righteous acts of giving. It doesn't matter if you're great or if you're small. If you reverence and reverence the Lord, he will bless you. I give, it's given back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. As long as the, seed, as long as the earth, earth remains, seed time and harvest, it shall not cease. Amen. You might be believing God and standing on the word of God for relationship restoration. 
You know, I used to declare the word of God over my wife continuously. Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. And she would, com would completely uh, declare the word of God over me that I'm not a fool. <laughs> Did it work, Mama? Okay. <laughs> but it's about refusing to let go of it, even in the face of obstacles and resistance, things that come against you. And just like that bone that the dog won't let go of, that word of God is like a bone. You're not going to let go of it. Choose to hold on to it till the promise is manifested and not quit until the promise is manifested. Amen. I've heard people say things like, well, I'm believing God. I'm just waiting for the manifestation. You're not in position of believing. You will never pull it into manifestation by saying, I'm waiting. Faith don't wait. Faith is now. Faith is the assurance of what? Things hoped for. El pizzo, hope for. It means an expectation with desire. A total expectation with desire. I have faith that it's going to be like this, and I am in expectation that this is going to happen. So for the things hoped for, this is not one of those, why should I hope so attitude? Well, I sure hope it's going to happen. I hope things are going to change. No, this hope is a confident expectation because it's based on trust. See, the hope so don't trust because the hope so don't know how things are going to happen. But the one that's confident, see, and the reason they use the word hope is because it's future. It's got to come into manifestation. See, Jesus already provided it in the past. I'm moving into the future, but I'm living in the now. So I reach into the past for what Jesus has done to bring it into my now so that I can walk with it into my future. Amen. So hope for can be defined as I confidently expect that this is going to happen without some hope so attitude. And the tense in the Greek, this word hope for, hope for in the tense is continuous. It's a continual hope, continuously hoped for, even though it's not yet seen. Now, when you first start learning to walk by faith, and, you know, we've, we've experienced this. You, you believe in God for something, and two days later, you're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to happen. You know, you, you haven't made it to be the rock of Gibraltar yet. <laughs> you, know, you know, or maybe you got that one week button. You know, the devil leave you alone for a week. I'm believing God, you know, and then all of a sudden here comes the button after one week because you got one week of standing and one week he pushes the button and here comes the problem. Ah, I don't know if this is going to happen. Well, I've had a lot of experience. Yeah. So it's a continuous tense where we're continuously um, hoping for, confidently expecting. So what happens if you fall for the devil's button? He pushes your button and you're like, oh, I don't know if this happens. Well, then you got to get back and develop faith. Get back in the word, get faith again. So this person that has a confident expectation, again, has an attitude of endurance and they will not let go. Why? Because of the conviction. The conviction of things not seen. Conviction. Elekos. 
Now this word conviction is a word that's used in a court of law. And it implies, we know, we know all about convictions that happens in court, but it implies not only the charge on the basis of which somebody is convicted, but it's also the manifestation of the truth of that charge. And what's the truth of that charge? In other words, why were they, why were they shown one way or the other, guilty, innocent, whatever it might have been? Why did that conviction come up? Evidence. Evidence. See, it's evidence. That's the manifestation of the truth of that charge. So not only is there, so you have a conviction, but it's based on a manifestation of the truth, not manifested out here, manifested in here. Because if it's not in here, it won't be out here. Now, have any of you, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever been in a courtroom and, you know, uh, maybe you were the one in the chair waiting on a, a, a verdict being read, you know, could have been. But the verdict's going to come up either guilty or innocent, right? And as soon as the verdict is read, guilty or innocent, as soon as it's read, you're going to feel the conviction as soon as you hear it. If they said guilty, you will feel that on the inside. Something's going to happen on the inside once you hear the conviction. If you hear innocent, something's going to happen on the inside. You might collapse into the chair and go, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, but as soon as you listen, this is very, very important when it comes to faith. When you hear the conviction, okay, something's happening on the inside. Once you hear the conviction, something happens on the inside. Soon as that verdict is read, you feel the results of it inside. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in that chair and you want them to say innocent. You must hear the conviction. You can't walk out of the court and go, well, you know, I'm innocent. No, they'll arrest you and bring you into jail because you walked out and you shouldn't be. So it doesn't matter if you want them to find you innocent, right? You got to hear it. So do you just want what you want in the word of God? Or are you hearing a conviction? Is the word bringing a conviction to bring a change in you in order to bring a change into your life? And that change is not, I have a happy emotion. It is not, I just feel good. It's not like, oh yeah, this is just going to be great. That's all emotion and useless useless in the things of life. It's got to be in your spirit. In your spirit, you get that conviction. Everything out here looks like trash. Everything look, out here looks like it's all falling apart. Everything out here looks like it's all being dragged to hell. But on the inside, 
I got a conviction. I've heard, I heard a conviction. And it's created a change on the inside of me. Amen. So this Greek word used for conviction is also used in a positive sense, which means to convince. Convince. So faith is a very strong conviction of the word of God because of being totally convinced of its truth and convinced of the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of the promiser. Convinced. So a result of conviction is totally convinced. Totally convinced. Totally convinced. Yep, I know that bill's due in five days, but bless God, I got a promise. Yeah, I know it's due in three days, but bless God, I got a promise. I have sown seed. I'm believing God. Why? Because I heard, not because I want, but because I heard a conviction. So in the same way that a person sitting in court wants to be found innocent but needs to hear the verdict, just because you want to prosper doesn't mean much. It would be a starting point, but unless you hear a conviction, you got to hear that on the inside of you. It's got to come alive on the inside of you. That's what faith is. Faith comes by hearing on the inside, not hearing out here, hearing in here. I hear it. Amen. You know, I heard about Jesus for years before I got saved. I even went to a church that talked about Jesus. Didn't do nothing for me. Could care less. I quit on God at 12 years old. Don't tell me any of this God stuff. I don't want to hear none of this. I'll cuss you out one side down the other. I'll tell you off. I'll look at your PTL license plate and tell you what I think it really means. You're not going to like it. But then one day, one day, something happened on the inside. It wasn't because of what I heard out here. It's because something I heard inside. Conviction, evidence came alive on the inside. Amen. Are you with me? So again, it's not because I want prosperity, I want healing, I want a better relationship, I want peace, I, I want wisdom. No, no, no. What are you convicted about? Those, those are good wants. Don't misunderstand me. Just don't confuse it for faith. Faith is not want. Faith is what? Faith is assurance of things hoped for and conviction, evidence of things not seen. Amen. So let me give you a paraphrase of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith militantly with a, dog, with a bulldog attitude stands by what it is believing for, continuously, confidently expecting it to come to pass, and is convinced that what it is believing will happen without doubting, moving it from the unseen to the seen realm of life. Amen. So let's go down to verse 6. Now that we've talked about faith. Verse 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder 
of those who seek him diligently. It doesn't say it there, but the word seek is actually means diligently. So it starts off by saying without faith. So the word without is the Greek word charis, and it comes from the root word chara, which is the idea of an empty expanse or an empty room. You remember when Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom and the man was in hell and he said, oh, have Lazarus come across. And Abraham said, can't do it. There's a great what? Gulf fixed, which was also what? It was a chasm. A chasm. A great expanse. Emptiness from one place to the other. So therefore, to be without faith means to have an empty room. It doesn't mean that you don't have a room. It doesn't mean you're without a room. But it means you have a room and it's empty. See, this is why when we say, well, I have faith, well, you know, we, we know you got a room. It's not the point. Is the room empty or is it full? I have a house. You have houses. We're not in them right now. But we still have houses. But we're not in them. We're out. So I could say I'm without a house at this particular point. You know, it's just like Jesus said, you know, well, the, the fox has holes and, you know, all that other stuff, but the, man, the son of God has no place to lay his head. He was on the road. He had a house. He lived in Capernaum. In fact, they believe that was his house where they ripped the roof off so they could let the man down in through the, uh, through the roof to be healed. He had a house. He, his home was originally in Nazareth. They rejected him, so he said, I'm going to Capernaum. And he set up his home base in Capernaum, but then he would travel. And as he traveled, he had no place to lay his head. But he had a house. Amen. So, without faith is having an empty room. Now, the word faith is a noun. And what is a noun? A person, place, or thing. In this particular case, this noun is a place. Faith is a place. The righteous live by, by faith, or you could say the righteous live in a place. They live in a place. So now that reminds me about Psalm 91. That you abide in the shadow of the Most High. You abide. It means you stay there. You don't visit. You live there. You live in the house. Amen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask what you will and it be done for you. Abide. Stay in that place. Stay in the house. So the righteous are to live in a place, in a room, in a house called faith. Now it can be in a place for salvation. Jesus is Lord, right? So the day that I believed Jesus is Lord, I moved into that house. But you know what? It wasn't the house of healing. It wasn't the house of prosperity. It was the house of salvation. Because that's where my faith was. Are you with me? 
But there's also a house for healing. There's a place for healing. There's a place for abundance. There's a place for peace. There's a place for relationship growth. There's a place for child raising. There's a place for wisdom. There's a place for favor. All kinds of places. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Forget the mansion thing. You're not having any chandeliers hanging in your house. It's a dwelling place, and the dwelling is in the presence of your father. Amen. So remember this about faith. It's a consistent persuasion and a consistent reality. So if it's consistent, then I should be living consistently in the house. So if I should be consistently living in the house, I understand this about opposition. It's always trying to move me out of the house so my house will be empty. Amen? To be without faith or to be outside the house is to move out, to abandon the promise. I've walked away from the house. If we've abandoned the house, we can't please the one who's in the house. God's the one in the house. He's wondering, where'd you go? You know, I could tell you about my home that I had in Port Charlotte. I could tell you all the details. I still remember. It's been a year and a half, but it's etched in my head. I mean, I've lived there for 44 years. I could tell you about all the renovations we've done. I could tell you all the projects we've done. I could tell you everything about the house. But I abandoned it. I sold it. So although I could tell you all the details about the house, I'm outside the house. See, we're not talking about talking faith. We're talking about living faith, real faith. And we did a teaching some time ago about real faith or fake faith. So as much as I could tell you about the house that I lived in, every detail I could tell you about it all. I could tell you about the floors. I could tell you about the ceiling. I could tell you about the trim work. I could tell you about the flooring. I could tell you about the furniture. I could tell you about the kitchen. All the remodel work, I can tell you everything and anything about it. But I'm not there. So it's only talk. And a lot of people think because they can talk that they're in faith. And they're not in faith anymore than I'm in my house. And you usually hear it from people that say, well, you know, I, rem I believed this like five years ago. Or I believed this last year. Or the last time this happened, I believed. We ain't in the last time. We're in this time. Faith is what? Now. Not yesterday, not five years ago. Not because you lived there for 44 years. Faith is now. Amen. Are you with me? To stay in the house is to stay in faith. It's to stick with the assignment, stick with the calling, or stick with the promise that God gave you. That's the place of faith. Staying here is what pleases God. Staying in the house of faith is what pleases God. We are determined to stay there until we receive the fulfillment. Amen. Fulfillment of what? 
whatever God said to us, whatever God said in us, whatever was made alive in me by the word of God as the soil produces the crops. Convicted and convinced of the reality of faith, the reality of the promise, this type of staying in the house of faith is what pleases God. And as he is pleased, he is a rewarder. He's a rewarder. This word's too big in the Greek. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it means to render a recompense or a reward, to pay a wage. It means to render in return for your performance. Okay? Now, this takes some explaining because there's so many wrong things out there, misunderstood things, because there's confusion. Confusion enters in because of the statement of grace that it's unmerited favor. And it is. Grace is unmerited favor. But there's so much confusion about that because they think it's unmerited favor, so God's just going to do it. No, no. You know, we can invite you for dinner and we'll feed you, but you're going to have to show up. You understand? And you could show up and say, I don't want to eat. We're not going to hold you down and shove food down your mouth and make you eat. But this is what we think God does. We think God does this because of unmerited favor. And it's created a lot of confusion. What does it say over in Ephesians chapter 2? You know the verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. You can put it up there. By grace are you saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Right? So he says, by grace or by the unmerited favor of God, you have been saved. Right? He's freely given salvation for every person on the face of the earth because Jesus paid the price for sin. But there is an avenue that's given to us that we can take hold of this freely given gift of grace called faith. And it's not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Okay? So, again, a little more confusion. What's the gift of God? Grace, faith, and salvation. It's all a gift. Why? Because it's an unmerited favor of God that provided for every single person through the blood of Jesus salvation. Through the avenue of faith, which comes how? By hearing the word of God. So it's not of yourself, is it? It's come to you. You can make it your own, but it had to come to you from the Word of God. So therefore, it's a gift. Now, we're not talking about gifts of the Spirit, gift of faith. This is the faith that we as children of God are supposed to live by. The righteous live by faith. We live in the house of faith. Isn't that right? So that's the avenue that's been given to partake of the unmerited favor of God called faith. 
And this is why we looked at faith first, because we need to understand what this faith is. And yet, when you got saved, you had absolutely no idea what faith is. But you made a decision to believe God and to take hold of what Jesus did for you, and you got saved. And yet, you knew nothing about the procedures and processes of faith. So now that we know the procedures and processes of faith, are we going to get up in our head and now try to figure it out and work it? You got saved by definitely mustard seed faith. So why do you now need Rock of Gibraltar faith? If mustard seed faith brought into your life the greatest miracle that could ever happen, why do you need more faith for the, for the, the lesser miracles? So what's the problem right up here? There's a good book. It's called uh, Building, uh, Crossing the Bridge. You know, and we, we happen to have a copy up here, you know, but, you know, it's a... It's another shameless plug. I understand that. But if you're on live stream or podcast and you'd like a copy of that, just let the office know. We'll get you a copy. <laughs> so, before I lived in the house called Faith, God could never recompense me with salvation. Is that true? He couldn't give me salvation. Was it provided? Mm-hmm. But could it move in my life? No. Why? Because I didn't move in the house of faith. I didn't take hold of what was provided. Even though he freely gave it, I did not freely receive it. Until one day at 30 years old, I stepped into the house. I stepped into that place called faith. And I said, I accept Jesus into my life. Salvation came to pass immediately. But yet, it was provided for 30 years of my life, and I never partook of it. I would have died at 29 and went to hell with my salvation provided for me. Because of not ever having received it. Are you with me? My faith did not create or make salvation a reality. Salvation was a reality. Grace has made salvation a reality for everybody. But my reception of that grace is what made it become a reality in my life. You know, there's that bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, that settles it for you, but it's settled the minute God said it. God said it, period, that settles it. Now, in order for it to be settled in you, you have to believe it, right? So my reception of his grace and salvation by faith, that's what made it a reality in my life. But it was always a reality. It was always there, always available. You know, when the children of Israel was at the Red Sea, Moses stretched out his staff. Is that right? So did he divide the sea with his staff? Nope. Power of God divided the sea. What did Moses do? Moses obeyed God. God said, stretch out your staff. He stretched out his staff. God divided the sea. God's free grace is what divided the sea. He's doing for them what they couldn't do on their own. 
Isn't that right? His free action was given. And Moses, he, 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 okay, Moses, here's a free action for you to do. Stretch out your staff. Why? Just stretch out your staff. Why? I don't see why. I'm going to divide the sea. Oh, really? I mean, come on. Is that really going to happen? I'm going to divide the sea. I ain't never seen no sea divided. Are you sure this is going to happen? It sounds like us. Yeah. No. God gave Moses an action. God had something in mind of what he wanted to do to deliver Israel. All Moses had was a will to choose to obey. That's all he had. God had everything else. God, Moses had a will to choose to obey. March around the, the city six times quietly, seventh day, seven times, and then at the end of the seventh time, shout with a great shout. All Israel had was a will to obey God. That's what your free will is for, to choose whether to obey God or not obey God. That's what your free will is for. Amen. Moses said his will, obeyed God, stretched out a staff. God did the impossible. Why did God do the impossible? Because Moses obeyed. Faith. That was faith. Why didn't Moses go into the promised land? Because he messed up. He didn't obey. Now, thank God, we get a second chance, and a third chance, and a tenth chance, and a fiftieth chance. As long as we have breath, we have a chance. <laughs> thank God for that. <laughs> But you find that all through the Bible. People obey, God moves. People obey, God moves. People obey, God moves. The ifs of the Bible. If you will listen to and hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, then all of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. If you do what you can do, God will do what you can't do. All you have to do is the if. All you need is a will to choose to obey God. He's calling you with his word. All you have to do is accept the invitation. The last item is about erroneous thinking about faith. I've heard this so many times through the years. I did this because I had faith. Or, you know, this happened in my life because I had faith. Or the erroneous thinking on the other side of that is, well, God did it because it's a gift of the Spirit and God does, you know, everything that he just wants to do. Well, both sides are kind of true. Because it is true that we can have faith. And it is true that God can move by gifts of the Spirit. So is one more miraculous than the other? But we think it is. You know why? Because we think of the gifts of the Spirit, we think of spectacular. The dividing of the Red Sea, spectacular. <laughs> Pastor Ewellen had cracked shoulders, but then it's healed. Nobody saw it. 
Nobody knew about it. Was that any less spectacular? See, the problem is, is we look for spectacular things and we think that's God. But God is not spectacular. He's supernatural. And operating by faith is just as supernatural as when God operates by gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, you can live and die and never have the gifts of the Spirit move in your life. But you can always have faith. Because the gifts of the Spirit operate as God wills. And the gifts of the Spirit doesn't usually operate because you got an issue. God's looking at generations. He sees things down the road and things that are coming up, and he wants to set something today because of what's coming up. But for all your issues, not that you have issues, but it's just an expression. But for any issues you might have, faith is what always works and brings supernatural results. Whether it's working by faith or working by the gifts, they're both from God, and it's not by might, not by power, but doing it by his spirit. When somebody says something like, oh, I was healed by God, and other, people, another person says, well, that's because I laid my hands on you. You ever look at these things lately? They have any power in them? No, if I slap myself in the face, it could hurt. There's no power in these things. So what do we do? We're trying to get glory for something God did. God will share his glory with nobody. Our hands don't have any power. Well, then why do we lay hands on it? It's obedience to release God and allow God to do what God said he'll do. Jesus said this, you will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. So he's given you an avenue for this to operate and to work. And he confirms his word with signs following. So the word says lay hands on the sick. He confirms the word with signs following. He confirms. See, and this is why, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I was going to pray for him, but what if it don't work? You ain't working it. What are you worried about? Why are you so concerned? You know why most people get concerned about that? They have an image problem. They don't know they're in Christ. If I was to, before I laid hands on somebody and I shared with them about what the word of God says about healing, and I said, if we lay hands on you, Jesus said, you'll recover. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Do you want to pray? You want to allow Jesus to move in your life? All the pressure's off you. Not you doing it. It's never you doing it. <laughs> He'll talk. The, the Bible says, I will talk to people through stammering lips. <laughs> you know, you know. I, I want to rewrite that, that he'll talk to people through people that can't sing. <laughs> no, it's by grace through faith. Healing by the grace of God. Through faith, lay hands on the sick. Real, true faith attaching to the grace of God. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. 
So when we get in agreement with the promise of God and choose now to stay in the house of faith, where he has assigned us or some promise that we're sticking with, he will richly reward us. He said so. He fully recompenses and richly reimburses us for everything invested along the way. The Good Samaritan. Man was beat on the side of the road. The Good Samaritan brings him to the inn. And the innkeeper takes him in. And he says, take care of him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for everything you spent on taking care of him. That's the rewarder. Amen. It's a result of real diligent faith. Staying in the house. Enduring with total expectation. Having been convinced of the truth all the way to the manifestation in our life. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well. You know, faith is important. Thank you, Jesus. Faith is of utmost importance. We need faith. We need to understand what faith is. So, you know, whether you're here on live stream, podcast, go back over, hear this again, read your notes over, go through the verses. There's only two verses tonight on, on faith. So go over them again, read your notes, listen to it again, get it in your heart. Get it down into your heart because faith is a principle that can affect every single area of your life. Isn't that right? Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. We bless you, Lord. We praise you. We magnify you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. You alone, O oh Lord, are worthy. Worthy are you, Lord God. Living one, saving one. You are the miracle worker. You're the wonder worker. Oh, I bless you, Lord, mighty God, majestic King and everlasting Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. I thank you that it goes into our heart. Father, that we'll receive this into our heart and not let it be stolen. But let it get into that heart to where we take hold of understanding. That revelation comes alive inside of us. And that because of that understanding, Father, that it will bear fruit within us. And that bearing within us will then produce into our life. It will bring forth into our life the results of the seed of this word that has been sown into our hearts today. Father, we thank you for it and bless you and praise you for that. Now, Father, as we come before you with our giving this evening, whether it be our tithe, our first fruits, whether it be our seed sowing, Father, we do it. We do it by faith. We do it according to your word. We declare what your word says over our giving. Your word says about tithing that you open the windows of heaven. The word says about first fruits that you will uh, 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 fill our, wine, our, our bonds and our vats with new wine. You said, according to seed sowing, that you will supply and multiply seed for sowing and bread for food and increase the harvest that comes from our righteous act of giving. Father, you are the promise maker and we trust in you because you're not a man that you would lie. And we take hold of your promise. We put it in our heart. We put it in our mouth. We put it in our decisions. We put it in our choices and we stay in the house of faith. And Father, I thank you that it will produce in our life for you are the rewarder. We thank you for it and bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. If you need an envelope for cash or credit card giving, there's an envelope on the seat back in front of you. Again, on live stream, podcast, thanks so much for joining with us today. And um, we're glad that you could be with us. And I pray that the Word of God has really touched you and brought some increase into your thinking, into your believing, and mostly into your understanding of what faith is so that we can go forward in the reality of faith and see faith work in our life at every turn and every avenue. Amen. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, and go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. And as always, if there's anything that we can stand in prayer with you about, please let us know. We consider it an honor to pray for our partners and believe God with you for your needs to be met. Amen.